0: There is a certain physical experience, and that's why they say sex, drugs and rock and roll. It's a very goshmiistic of feeling. It's a very um, physical experience, even though it's a spiritual experience. And that's the reason that secular music has become so sexualized. It's just part of the package at this point. So when I have that Yeatssahara, I would even call it, to stand up in front of a wedding and sing, I recognize it for what it is. It would be really, really exciting. If everyone in the room would stop and turn their heads and be like, holy cow, look at Hanala Singh. Look, hear hear that voice. It would also bring everybody's eyes in my direction. How is that appropriate in my life?
1: It's not. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. One of the issues that I've been thinking about lately is the halachic concept of kol isha, that is broadly defined, the prohibition for men to listen to a woman when she is singing. The exact parameters of this halacha are debated, but the basic idea is stated simply by the Aruch Hashulchan, Evan HaEzer, Simon Kafal of Steve Gimel. Ve'asor lishmoa kol isha kol nigun na ishto. It is forbidden to listen to the voice of a woman singing if she is not his wife. This still leaves many questions unanswered, such as whether this includes recordings, whether it applies to a woman singing by herself or to a choir as well, and much more. There are frankly a wide range of opinions about many issues surrounding Koli But we need to acknowledge, even if it goes against our sense of fairness, that the vast majority of poskim understand Koli as a prohibition which is fully applicable today. For women who sing professionally, the halakhot surrounding kol are unquestionably challenging, and today I have the opportunity to ask three orthodox female performers how kol has affected them, how they navigate the challenges it presents, whether they feel cheated because they cannot perform in mixed-gender venues, if they follow this stricture as it's traditionally understood, what kind of pushback they've received, and much more. And I also discuss other aspects of their experience as orthodox women who sing. We'll get to that conversation in a moment. First, let me remind you to share this podcast, rate The Orthodox Conundrum, and write a review on Apple Podcasts, and let us know what you think on The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Check out jewishcoffeehouse.com for The Orthodox Conundrum and other great podcasts, and remember to subscribe to them on your favorite podcast provider. I have started a sub-stack called Orthodox Conundrum Commentary, where I plan to write articles about some of the issues we discuss here, as well as other subjects that I think are worth discussing. Go to the link in the description of this podcast to read my latest article, The Ruined Man of Jerusalem, as well as to access a free subscription. The Orthodox Conundrum is looking for sponsors, either to promote your business or organization or in somebody's honor or memory. If you would like to reach thousands of listeners every week, write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com. Thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers who have access to bonus Jewish Coffeehouse podcasts, merch, and more. You should join our Patreon team too. The link is in the description of this podcast. Finally, if you don't have a podcast, you're missing out on the best new way to reach hundreds and thousands of engaged listeners. But if you want to start a podcast, you need to make sure that it's really good, both in terms of content and production values, so that you will be noticed among all the other podcasting options out there. If you have opinions that you want to share with a large group of people or a growing business that's looking for a great new marketing tool or an organization that's looking to reach hundreds and thousands of captivated listeners, you should have a podcast and one that is of the highest quality, and we can help you make that happen. Contact me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcasts.com to learn how we can help you make a high quality, effective, and entertaining podcast. Francisca Kosman is a Jewish Orthodox artpreneur who began her career as a singer and composer with over 60 released singles. Transitioning into entrepreneurship, Francisca established K Productions, offering a unique array of services encompassing content development, production, and everything podcasts. To address the lack of representation and discuss taboo topics, Francisca launched The Francisca Show, a podcast providing a platform for Orthodox Jewish topics and stories. By embracing modern technology, she aims to empower women to engage with their audiences in unprecedented ways. Dr. Carrie Barkon is a doctor of chiropractic and spends a big part of her day helping people get out of pain. She's married to Rabbi David, and together they're raising four sons, aged 15 to 25, in Israel. Most recently, Carrie has become a TikTok celebrity in Israel, with literally millions of views on her challah dancing videos with fellow Israelis. Her past projects have included DVDs and performing for children and women around the world as Rebbets and Tap. She was also featured on Israel's Got Talent. Dr. Barkon is the founder of the Facebook group Koli Shah, a Jewish women singing and dancing group, and the Instagram account Jewish Creative Women. Hanala Felig Harel is a singer, songwriter, recording artist, and performer. She has performed for all female crowds in places as far away as China, South America, Alaska, Colombia, Australia, South Africa, and Israel. Her music reflects her strong Jewish heritage and embraces her contemporary musical taste. With seven albums of her own, she's also the creator of the Bella Bracha series and the composer of Parsha Time from Tovito. Hanale works with some of the top names in Jewish music and her interviews with music legends, Yessi Green, Avi Rottenberg, and Country Yessi can be found on her YouTube channel. An ambassador for Nefesh Benefesh and Daily Giving, Hanale travels around Israel, inspiring Aliyah and charity amongst her large social media following, and she hosts the acclaimed podcast the Weekly Squeeze with Hanala. Hanala Fela Karel, Francisca Cosman, and Dr. Carrie Barcone, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast.
0: What a treat. Great to be here.
2: Thank you.
1: I would like to ask each of you to recount your origin story, so to speak, in performing, how you became a performer, your backstory, and specifically what area of the performing arts you're involved in now. Carrie, let's start with you.
2: Okay, so... I'll start with right now, I am involved in TikTok, and that is the most interesting, exciting, dynamic, fun thing that I'm doing right now, and I love it. Um, Backstory is that I was a child performer. I started in the city of Orlando. I went to the high school performing arts, and then I just left it. I was looking for something more meaningful. I was looking to make a difference with my life, and I was disillusioned with the performing career. Fast forward 15 years, I don't do anything with performing. And in the time, I become a chiropractor, I raise a family, I become religious. And then when I make Aliyah, 15 years later, the first month I'm here, somebody says there's an audition for Annie in our local community show, and do I want to audition? And even then, I didn't really realize how this was going to shift my life again. So I end up doing that. And that's what opened my eyes to the world of uh, Jewish women's performing. I really thought I was just doing like a community show, like I had done reform synagogue shows. And um, from that, I did that about five different shows and people would come up to me and they would say, "Um, Annie is the only DVD I let my kids watch. And it got me thinking like like, a knockoff of Annie is the only DVD there is for girls to watch. Not the only, but that's kind of was like, oh, there's really a lack and a need for Jewish women performing. This is like an area that needs to be developed. And that's when my husband came up with the idea of rabbits and Taps. It was like, let's think of what we could do. And it was a Shabbos adventure and, and loving Shabbos. So then we went on to do five different DVDs. And during that time period, was also kind of becoming aware of Koli Shah, nuances of Koli Shah. Cause up until then I just didn't know about women's performing and I didn't do it. And kind of opening my eyes to that nuance. Fast forward, DVDs are out. The internet is in and I'm being asked to audition for Israel's Got Talent and kind of like figuring out that in the Kohli Shah. We'll talk about it later. And I went on to do that. And as the internet came, I opened a Facebook group called Kohli Shah and I opened up an Instagram group called Jewish Creative Women. And then TikTok started. And that's what I'm involved in now. And TikTok is by far, I want to say double, but it's 10 times fold the reach that I've had through TikTok through anything up until now.
1: Okay, thank you, Carrie. Hanala, how about you?
2: Okay,
0: uh, well, all my choices in life have been influenced by my interest and my love for music so I think it was no surprise that I rolled into it and made a a lifelong career in music yeah and I, I mean it's a long long story because it's my entire life story but I've always loved to sing and I've always been a creative writer even before I was a songwriter I was a you know talented kid in school in the English and arts in the language and arts department and um I just followed my heart with the music and it's really been like just a steady, consistent um, element in my life and a tremendous blessing. Today, I, I mean, I've produced nine of my own albums, um, four children's DVDs, including Bella Brecha, which everybody knows I'm going to a wedding. I've written dozens of songs for school plays, for Jewish albums. I have a masterclass on songwriting and performing. Um, I've performed in numerous big shows, big stages, daily giving and um, a number of other terrific experiences. And I've traveled the world. So I've had a very, very wonderful experience um, being part of the music scene, um, if you will. Today, though, I have a podcast. And honestly, I never, ever thought I would. But it was very, very much influenced by my career or in a sense, lack thereof (laughs) or a lack of you know, space for my voice that kind of, you know, naturally led me into podcasting like that transition. So I'm still using my voice. I'm just not singing as much.
1: Okay. Thank you, Hanala. Francesca, how about you?
0: I grew up in Moscow, Russia, and
3: I was just in the pools and waters and oceans of Russian classical music. I was involved in the choir and ensemble in my school. I also went to music school with the non-Jewish people around me, throughout my entire childhood. And then I started writing my own music. I used psukim. Fast forward, I put out six albums of Hebrew music. And in in that time, I also started podcasting. I started podcasting because I was very frustrated with the space of kolisha and women performers. Uh, Hanala's music I actually grew up listening to, so you were one of the first people I reached out to when I was maybe 16 or 17. And the podcast has changed courses since, but it has definitely, like Hanala said, just been always the background music of my life. And everything is, I I view the world through the lens of an artist and songwriter and a female Orthodox one.
1: Thank you all for saying what you did, and there's a lot to talk about in what you mentioned. Before we get to some of the specific issues you mentioned, among them Kol Isha and the difficulties for female performers in the Orthodox world, I'd first like to ask on a more positive note about Jewish music in general. At Hayom, I am not particularly knowledgeable about Jewish music. That's not a boast. It's something I'm not proud of. But I'd like to know from each of you why you think that Jewish music is important, all of you having been involved significantly in Jewish music. In other words, what is the place of music, in your opinion, in fostering religious growth and a spiritual connection to Judaism and to God? Francisca?
3: Okay, so I think music in general is a part of everyone's lives, whether they know it or not. So, for example, you go to a wedding or you have... Or you're traveling and there's background music in the airplane or the airport or think of any scenario you're in. There's usually some sort of sound or music that is designed to accompany that experience, whether it's on purpose or not. Go to the ocean, you have the sound of the waves and the chirping of the birds. So I think people who are in tune People who have the talent, meaning when they are expressing themselves and then other people look at them and say, wow, that that's more special than a, what I can do. And in general, when you're in tune with the things around you and your surroundings, that can become a spiritual connection.
0: You know, for me, music was just a very emotional thing. I grew up listening to music. We grew up um, dancing in the kitchen to Avram Fried and Sleva Zemmer and Mordechai Ben David and Pia Menta and Michal Streicher and all these beautiful albums and Dvekos and Journeys and anyone who's listened to anything um, that I've just mentioned understands the, the soul connection you make when you listen to Jewish music that you don't find in other spaces, in other genres. And we've all been exposed to secular music. And I'm not saying that secular music can't move us and be emotional and be you know um, exciting. That's a whole separate conversation. But as far as Jewish music goes, I fell in love with the vibe, the energy, the harmonies, you know, even when when, when we didn't have computers and, and easy access to loops and stuff, you, you, you could sense that the artist was really giving you as much as he could. Nobody was in it for money. People were just there to create, like Francisca said, the music that would be the backdrop of our lives. And I want to I wanted to be part of that. I, I wanted to have that effect on people. The same way, you know, the little boys in Sleel Zemmer and Miami Boys Choir were affecting me. I was singing in the mirror with a hand, uh, with a brush, as cliche as it sounds, because these kids were like the, the soul that was in the song and in their voices. I was like, I want to do that and be that. So that's really Jewish music for me.
1: OK, Carrie, you mentioned before that you became religious at some point after your childhood. I'm curious how Jewish music affected that, or maybe a different way of putting that, if that's also your experience, similar to what Francisca and has said about Jewish music, or is yours somewhat different, that secular music is also a great thing and you don't really see a difference in Jewish music, it's just the space you're in right now, or is there a specific space for Jewish music that you've discovered as someone who became religious after being a young person?
2: First of all, what you guys said was great and spot on and resonated and I really loved it. As much as I love secular music, what you get out of religious music is a completely different thing. Like there's no doubt that the artists we watch when we were secular or religious are our role models. And so we have to think about we want our role models to be. And the songs we were hearing, Francesca mentioned this, during different experiences, those are the values and music of our life. So, um, you can see what I do today. I love dancing to secular music, but the place of religious music is is, is so important. And just because these are our values, these are our people. And if you can actually fill some of the creative needs secularly, but you're replacing them with the value system of those words and people. And so filling that with our values and our people is so important.
1: Okay. I now want to move on to something that's more controversial, which is something you all mentioned or alluded to. Kerry, you originally said that somebody told you, oh, Andy's the only DVD I'm going to show my daughters. Hanaleh, you talked about starting your podcast because there was a lack of space for your voice in other media. And, Francisco, you also said you were frustrated with the space allocated for women performers. Hanaleh, let me open with you with a very blunt question. What has been your experience of navigating Kolisha? And let me just preface this for people who don't know. Kolisha Shah is the law mentioned in the Talmud that... A woman's voice is considered to be sexually alluring, and specifically that's understood by the vast majority of poskim to refer to a woman's singing voice. And therefore, most Orthodox Jews feel that the halakha is that a woman cannot sing in public in front of men. Obviously, there are many nuances, but that's the broad halakha. Now, what has that experience been like for you?
0: Well, I want to make it clear that I think we're going to talk about the actual physical um experience of being a performing artist, not obviously the spiritual reward. That's a separate issue, which I will touch on. So in general, the Jewish community has, you know, this problem, I, I would say, where A, we don't revere performing artists like the secular world does. We, we, we Our role models, are our are, are Torah learners, our Talmidei Chachamim, our Rabbeim, not the guy who's, you know, singing on stage. And I just did an entire episode on Shlomo Karabach and he, he had a profound effect on people, but he went wrong by not recognizing his responsibility as a performing artist. So in general, the Jewish market is very small. And everybody, I think, in this business has those moments when they feel like they've been cheated. You know, you cannot be a very talented male artist and have exactly the same experience that I'm having where you're not filling Madison Square Garden. And we know that Isharibo is now officially the first recording artist that's going to attempt to do that. He's going to be in Madison Square Garden in, I think, a month or two or whatever. And I am sure there are performers eating themselves up that they've been in this business for 40 years and never had that opportunity. So when I feel those emotions, I recognize that this is not, a, you know, a just happening to me. So that's something that I've learned late in the game. But I, it's something that um, is very important for anyone listening to be aware of. Nobody owes you anything and you're not going to become a billionaire in this business. And the reward is not tangible. The reward is not tangible. Money is not a reward for a performer who loves to do what they do. I love to do what I do. For me, it's just painful that there's not enough opportunities, not because somebody took those opportunities away from me, but because that is what um, what Hashem's plan is for me. Now, there's plenty of advantages of being a performer for just women, plenty of advantages. And I recognize them now more than ever, you know, and I can name a a few of them if you want. But those are the things that I focus on. You know, you go back and forth. We're we're human beings. When another female gets a big gig and you're like, why wasn't it me? You have to fight those feelings of envy. And I think that's, you know, common in, in any line of work. So there is that professional envy, especially because and this is the fact of the matter. Most performers enjoy attention and you get into it because you want attention. If you don't want attention, you probably shouldn't be on stage, you know, or in this business. So you really have to recognize why you're in it, and the reasons that maybe it doesn't look like what you think it should. Does that, does that, you know, help?
1: <laughs> it helps, and I think it's very generous of you to say that we have to look at all performers, and specifically to say that male performers can also be jealous, resentful, that they're not selling out Madison Square Garden. But if I can push back a little bit, Hanaleh, Like, the bottom line is that Yishai Rebo can potentially sell out Madison Square Garden because he has twice as many potential audience members. That's just a fact, because Um, men and women can go. He
0: has 10 times more, and I'll tell you why. Because men in general, yeshiva bachrim, they are more into this stuff. They are more committed. Girls aren't distracted. They are busy. They're shopping clothes, self-esteem issues. The the men have that built-in advantage. So, yeah.
1: I mean, even halachically, on a pure halachic level, even if we could overcome that and— get women to come in the same numbers as men if that were a particular value. Still, you can only sell half as many seats halachically as he can if you follow the dictates of Khol and if your audience follows those dictates. That's an additional level of frustration, I'm sure, that is not frustrating towards Yishai Rebo so much as frustrating at Torah Law. And let me be clear, I'm not suggesting to change it because I'm a halachic Jew too, but we have to acknowledge the way we feel sometimes.
0: The only thing that he has more than I do is money. (laughs) Because... Again, when I recognize that my career is perfect for me, I can't do what Isha Ribo does. I cannot pull off the amount of gigs, the amount of rehearsals, practice, the radio appearances, the the media stuff, the traveling. I have another life I need. I need to be in. And now that I have you know children that need me, and they're you know at the stage where my presence is important to them, and I speak about that a lot. You're a star in your own house. <laughs> um, I recognize, in a sense, that Hashem protected me from giving me everything I, I ever begged him for. You know what they say? Like, be careful what you wish for. So when Isha Rebo sells at Madison Square Garden, I'm happy for Isha Rebo I'm happy for his audience because I truly love him and his music. Well, I don't love him, but you know. And um, again, like maybe I wouldn't mind being a little richer, but again, I'm grateful for what I have. And you know, Baruch Hashem.
1: Okay, that's wonderful. Francisca, how about you? How have you navigated the challenges of being a female singer with the Halachot of Kolisha?
3: Okay, so I'll just say it sucks, great. I, I I am advantaged in the way that I'm not as talented in performing as I am in composing. So, my favorite space essentially is writing music, producing music, more the behind the scenes stuff. So, if I did have the opportunities I, I think I still do have those opportunities. I just want to make an, a disclaimer out there that I think Jewish music in general is behind the mainstream music industry by design. Anything that sounds too current doesn't sound too kosher to be mainstream kosher enough, and that's my opinion. And I've also chosen to, it's not academic, but it's pop culture. That That's where I put myself into the space of studying this. So instead of thinking, oh, this is such a horrible phenomenon. I'm a, a female Orthodox person who really wants to sing. I look at it as, wow, we live in the time of social media. Things are changing and there's a movement and I could be a part of it. And that's really empowering because our music industry is not as great as anyone on the radio potentially for me, it's not Jewish music or secular music. For me, it's just music. So if I don't connect to it, then I'm not listening to it. If I do connect to it, I am listening to it. And I don't. it doesn't become, oh, this is a spiritual experience or not. I can have a very spiritual experience listening to something that's designed to not necessarily be a spiritual experience or from a religious singer. So that's what I have to say. I really love being in this research space and activist space and seeing what things changing and happening. And I fan, I find fulfillment through that.
1: I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to come back to something you said soon, but I first want to hear Carrie, what's your feeling about this?
2: Okay. A few things. I wanted to say that in the air when I felt like it was really much more limited, which let's say the DVD decade, I have a different history, which was I was progressing along a performing track. I was, for a 10 year old, that's as good as it gets to star in Annie. And I'm going to the high school performing arts and my classmates are becoming famous. So that was felt attainable reach. And it was like, put on the brakes. This is not the life you want. You got to regroup, Carrie. So that was, I, I never really even thought about it because it was like, you got to get your personal life in order and you got to figure out what you want to do with your life before you try to become famous. So like, I used to actually speak a lot about having the opportunity to, to do rabbits and tap and to go around and sing to Jewish kids and with my performance talent that I've been that I love and I I'm good at and I enjoy and puts me in a good space, but I know that I'm talented and I can bring other people energy and joy, and having something to do with that talent that was not just kosher but meaningful It's just like if I was a performer, I'd be another person on a TV show that someone else could fill that's probably better looking than me. But here I created something and I was able to go around to my school to school to school and make a difference in my community and it was. Me and come back to my family on Shabbos. And I felt like I had the best of both worlds at that time. So it wasn't in my kishka's my lack of opportunity. If anything, I had another career. And this was like this amazing hobby. That was kind of my background.
0: Can I piggyback off that? Because yes, I love that thought. I I what Carrie is saying is that there's this niche appeal that you can think is a disadvantage. But in the podcasting world, we know the the term to niche down. So we all of us have a very personal connection with our listeners and there's an intimacy and women love intimacy. Huge concerts are great, but my most amazing experiences have been in front of small, intimate crowds. So, you know, along with the flexibility that, um, that, that we have, don't forget that male singers, they're, they're never around. It's a huge sacrifice when your husband is a singer and that's just, you know, so we, we have the best of both worlds. We have this beautiful relationship with our fans and we could be around for our kids. Can I just add, breaking into this industry is super easy. You just need to, you
3: can start with literally just covering somebody else's song, and because there's so (laughs) few of us. Not
0: anymore? Maybe not anymore. I don't agree, though, because no, no, I think what you're trying to say is recording something and producing something and putting it out there is easier. When I started recording music, I was doing it on an eight track in my house, and burning CDs and giving it to my friends. What I'm saying is if
3: there are no other female singers and there's so few, then you do
0: something that's enough to get attention. But nobody. Yes. But nobody is really uh, besides for the couple that we can name on one hand, maybe one and one and an extra finger um, has made it to a brand name, you know, to the brand name point or level that some of the other singers have 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 come to. There's so st- but few but those and are far the same between, headliners, headliners, I would say. But, but that's
3: the same ratio that you have in the mainstream world, meaning this is the hardest thing to do if you grow up secular and you want to be a pop star and be famous. So if we're comparing the numbers...
1: I want to move into a similar direction and sort of now piggyback on what you're both saying and what Carrie said as well. I want to ask you about that performing issue because, again, I say this sort of with mixed emotions because on the one hand... I am part of the Orthodox world, I'm a Torah Jew, I hope, I try, and I'm not in any way saying that the halakha should change. At the same time, I can't stop thinking about what it would be like for any of you, for example, to go to a wedding and to look at the guy up on the stage singing his heart out and thinking, wow, I'm better than that guy, but even if you say, as you said, Hanaleh, you can niche down, fine, that guy could also niche down. He can choose to have a smaller career, but he chooses not to, it's up to him. You don't have that choice. You can't be a wedding singer in the Orthodox world because nobody would hire you. Let me take it further. I'm not a wedding singer, but if I walked in and put my name down on a piece of paper as a wedding singer and I wanted to be in that space, okay, I might be good, I might be bad, but at least no one would discount me inherently based on my gender. For any of you, should you walk into that same space and put your name down as one of the candidates to be a wedding singer, they just throw it in the garbage. It would have nothing to do with it. It would not be even a possibility. And I want to know what that experience has been like for you. Obviously, weddings are only a single example, but there are other places, other performing venues, other experiences you might have that you simply can't do it even if you wanted to not niche down, even if you wanted to reach a mass audience. And as has said, you're performers. Performers, presumably, I, Francisca, you... Might be a little bit different, you said, because you're more interested in the producing and songwriting side. But performers are performing artists who like to reach a public. We all like it when more people listen to our podcast or more people listen to whatever it is that we're putting out into the world. So if I can ask, I'll ask any of you, you know, Hanale, let me start with you for this one. What was that like? Even though, yes, it might be a blessing, but it has to also be frustrating.
0: Right. I'll tell you like this. Uh, Performers in general prefer to perform in front of a mixed audience. You rarely find people who willingly sing in front of one gender because there's a certain electricity that comes from that chemistry between men and women in a room. I mean, think about a Britney Spears concert. Think about a Justin Bieber concert. You have girls screaming and pulling their hair out and vice versa. There is a certain physical experience and that's why they say sex, drugs and rock and roll. It's a very, gosh, a of feeling. It's a very um, physical experience, even though it's a spiritual experience. And that's the reason that secular music has become so sexualized. It's just part of the package at this point. So when I have that Yitzhahara, I would even call it, to stand up in front of a wedding and sing, I recognize it for what it is. It would be really, really exciting if everyone in the room would stop and turn their heads and be like, holy cow, look at Hanala sing. Look, hear, hear that voice. It would also bring everybody's eyes in my direction. How is that appropriate in my life? It's not. So, you know, it's kind of black and white for me. Now, I'll get, I'll share one little anecdote and then, you know, you could make of it what you will. Years ago, when I was single, I used to go to karaoke with my friends and that was my eight I was single. I was not married. I wasn't looking for attention. I just wanted to be able to sing in public. And I there were a few times that I did sing in a karaoke club, some country song in some Brooklyn karaoke bar where people were like, who's singing Shania Twain? Anyways, I, I ended up being selected to kind of it was it was like a karaoke competition. I was like in the finals and I and I could have potentially won and I went to perform and perhaps win a round of drinks, whatever it was, um, and I and I didn't win. Okay. I was uh, third place. And I called my mother later that evening and I was really down and I thought, wow, like I put myself out there into the world and I got judged by a mixed audience and they rejected me. My mother said, Are you are you kidding? You don't need this. She's like, Do you know what you have? Like you have MS, you have people who love you for who you are. Not because you're some girl singing in a bar somewhere. You have what these people singing karaoke want. MS, truth, a real connection. Like that, this is nothing. This is nothing like dust off your shoulder. That really stuck with me. Okay.
1: Thank you for telling that anecdote. Carrie, how about you in terms of that question I asked? And when I first spoke to you about this conversation and said, would you be part of this panel? You said you were happy to do it. But you also said you think the whole thing is kind of ridiculous, anyway. So I'm kind of curious if you could comment on that particular aspect of it, too.
2: Sure. I guess I just want to go back a little bit to say, like, when I was doing the DVDs, I have a like a kind of like a completely different experience. Bank. I got a lot of attention as a kid, and really, my life issues were to have, you know, I was abandoned. I don't know how to say it. Not a bit to have loyalty and consistency were my primal needs, not attention. I had so much attention. I really needed loyalty and consistency, and it was just. I did okay moving on so when I started making the DVDs and it was just like wow I found a, 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 a and I knew I had a gift that I found a, a, a avenue for this gift of mine it was so satisfying and in that were the little droplets of Koli Shah which were like Harry you didn't write the words Koli Shah you only did it in 12 point and it's really supposed to be in 18 point point. and it was like I'm so balchuba. I became I became through like 10 minutes before I got married Almost literally. So, like, I didn't research. I'm just doing what people say. It's like, oh, Koli Shah means writing something with 18 point, but not 12 point. And, and then I got a lot of um, um, men. I really respect and love what you do. My daughter loves that. It. It's really been like the music of her childhood. And it would be like, how come this room guy feels comfortable saying that? To, I don't feel uncomfortable because I'm doing goofy little kids music, and I've had attention my whole life, and I'm not that sexual of a person, thank you. But um, they don't feel uncomfortable. So I was playing with all these kohli Shah like. Koli is not exactly what they've been selling me. And then all of a sudden, like the internet came. And then I remember when YouTube came out, I made a talking video and people were like, how could you put your face out there? That's so insane. That was before the singing. Then next thing I know, five years later, every woman is singing their heart out and they're just writing Koli Shah. Two years later after that, they're singing and they're writing anything and they're saying men should know. Then I get asked to be in, an, and I could kind of see since DVDs are out. How are you going to reach this audience? And at this point, I had this huge experience of how meaningful what I've been doing is for children. And I'm watching my own kid watch talent shows. And this is now how he's being exposed on the internet, my younger kids in a way that my older kids weren't. And I'm thinking, if you want to reach kids, which is what you do, which has been so meaningful, you're going to have to be on the internet, which means that some people are going to see you, which there's always been people seeing you. When you were in shows, there were always people involved so like what's that ratio that's okay like what makes it okay like all these ideas so then Israel's Got Talent called me and I was like oh I can't audition for that no way I'm too religious and I would never do that and I was talking to one of my patients and she said you know Carrie there's actually a lot of halachic space like maybe you could halachically. so then I called the rabbi and I'm still like oh gosh what are my friends gonna think of me um And I'm all ready. It's for education and it's through a mic and you only perform live for a hundred people and thousands of kids will be reached. I'm all ready with all my reasons. And the rabbi was just like, there's halakhic space, you can do it. And then I just thought, this is the same time that all these other issues are going on in the world. Like um, we're seeing halakhas change before our eyes. Like there's no situation, there's no solution to the agunah problem. All of a sudden there's solutions. Like, I'm seeing that halachic is a little bit more flexible than we thought. And somehow the younger generation doesn't have a hang up with it that I do because I'm like, this is what good for women do. And then it was just kind of like, I called the rabbi. There's a halachic space. And now my mission, like I said, I, I'm a 50-year-old woman who lives in Israel, who's steeped in Jewish life. My mission is just to spread Jewish joy. And if some people don't think it's halachic, and some people think it's not in the realm of the halakhic system. Some people do. And I don't have to be for everybody and not everybody has to agree with me. And this is my talent and my experience bank and my generation. And you can have your talent, your experience bank and your generation. And now I'm so mission about my purpose. I not want to talk about Koli Shot, like almost talking about it too much. Like the good girls will do this and the bad girls will do that. And the modern will do that. It's just like, it's just, I think in terms of, society just doing it makes a bigger difference than talking about it. When I saw these women singing on the Internet, it was like, maybe it is OK, because I know that person's pretty religious rather than talking about it. Am I really that kind of woman? OK, Scott, that's what I have to say.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your passion, Carrie. Francesca, how about you?
3: OK, so I'll start with number one. When you're saying, you know, if you're a woman and you your whole introduction just reminded me of, yes. And when it comes to sneeze. I'm also used to not doing what I am what I want to be doing. And when it comes to kashras, maybe, or any other halacha where a woman may feel more restricted than a man, or you as an Orthodox Jew can feel more restricted than your neighbor next door, we're used to it. Welcome to the game. So that's number one. Number two is I cry a lot, and it is upsetting. That's my experience. I do focus on the opportunities, though, that I do have because I live in the century, like social media. For example, the way I treat Colisha is it's like peanut butter. If you hold that you cannot watch a music video or you cannot listen to a recorded voice or you cannot listen to multiple women singing together with men at a Shabbos table, then you can stay away from that and you can protect yourself from that. Get rid of your iPhone or whatever else you want to do. But if I label my music Holisha, then I do have a space to do it. So I'm better off than I would be if I was born 100 years ago. That's to address the try,
0: try 20.
3: <laughs> uh, sure, 20. Thank you, Hanala. You are aging yourself here.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> what
3: does break my heart, and get your tissues ready. What hurts me, yes, sitting at a wedding and hearing a beautiful singing while the chasen or kala walk down the aisle, that that could be very heartbreaking. Another heartbreaking moment for me is um, not singing at the Shabbos table. Um, I have certain family members. I would not sing at the Shabbos table. I would probably not want to spend sadarim with them because singing is not Okay, they are not accepted, and that's heartbreaking for me. Uh, The fact that I have so many brothers-in-law, I have a father-in-law, Baruch Hashem, and they're never gonna see that side of me or hear that side of me. That feels very limiting, and it feels like they don't. It's a part of who I am, and the women around me, or even men I don't know, can appreciate that part of me. And uh, it's all theoretical and locked away somewhere to the people who I am related to, or maybe closest with and spend a lot of time with. So that that I find more heartbreaking in a way than my career opportunities. It's those people who are closest to me who are denied knowing a side of me that is so essential to who I
1: am. Wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And Francisca, let me stay with you for a minute. I want to ask you about something that you said before, when you mentioned that you're more involved in the production of music and in songwriting and therefore the performing has been less of an issue. As you mentioned right now, it might be an issue at the Shabbos table, but in terms of the desire to perform in front of an audience, that's less of an area of concern for you personally. But I want to ask you about being a female orthodox songwriter or a female orthodox music producer. Obviously halakhically there's nothing about that which should be more limiting to you than to anybody else. But socially I'm curious if it has been difficult for you to give your songs to male singers or to be able to produce male singers. Has that been an impediment? The social issue that men often stay with men and women stay with women, and whereas a man might theoretically produce or provide a song for a woman, I wonder if it's less likely that a woman would be accepted in writing a song for a man. I don't know. I'm curious about that. I know, Hannah, you've also written songs too, so I'm curious what you would say about that, Francisca, first.
3: So before I answer that I just want to say I consciously decided to develop myself less in the singing space because my time and money is w- would pay off more if I if I spent it in other areas that I could be less frustrated. So I just want to put that out there. I I could be doing voice lessons every week and I choose not to. I choose to be focusing on other areas. Uh number 2 regarding what you said it, it's There are women out there and I've interviewed some of them and they do get their songs out there into the male industry and they are connected. So it's definitely possible. And this is where I I say the same thing. It's a cutthroat business. People usually work with people who are around them or who they have relationships with. And if you break into that, you're good to go. And if not, it's just like any other industry where there are lots of people who say they can do a lot of things and just some of them make it.
1: Hanala, how about you? Because you've sold songs to male performers, right?
0: Sure. I've written songs for Avram Freed, um, Michal Przezinski. Um I just did a song for Eighth Day that's coming out with Neeson Black. And a lot of singers have even um, requested that, you know, I don't tell. I don't tell that I wrote a song that maybe I wrote. Listen, Well, that's
1: actually an important point. I'm not sure that's just a throwaway really? line.
0: They ask you I, not I, to I, say that? I'll get into that. I'll get into that. See, I think the men singers are in an uncomfortable spot, you know, because they, they they on the one hand are not supposed to be, you know, they're they're kind of like Francisca implied missing out on a big part of who we are because they don't listen to our music, you know. But at the same time, you know, I, I can hold my own parallel to any of these singers. My, my career matches many of them, if not even more. Uh, however, there's that like uncomfortable spot, but that said, me dice are me dice. And in this business, um, some singers have them and many do not, I hate to say it, but the Jewish music business, which my husband does, I mean, he's a producer and he does weddings and, and concerts and he knows every single singer songwriter. He's their guy. And he, you know, he's married to me. We know the business in and out there's a lot of people that should be ashamed of themselves for the way that they treat female um, recording artists, musicians, songwriters, because they are taking advantage of the fact that they can. And in this business, which is very competitive, you know, the treatment of female performers has been subpar consistently in my experience. Now, things have changed, but I will say that many customers of mine over the years, and I call them customers, the camps, the schools, the Tadak organizations, they treat women like second class performers, like second class citizens. They do. And that has improved. But I remember when I was performing for years, the budget for the performance was a half broken sound system. And if you were lucky, everything would work without blowing a fuse. I mean, the horror stories. And they happened to me and they didn't happen to the male artists, the male artists. There were bigger budgets, even if I had more people at my show, I could have 800 people at a concert, but they weren't you know, spending any many money on screens or extra lighting. Bare bones for the women. I mean, to think that today there are women performing with 16 piece bands on in huge stages with LED walls. Are you kidding? I was lucky if I got my check, I would come home sobbing to my mother. I just flew to. China, who are not China, but it wasn't China. They paid me on time, but I just flew very far. And they didn't pay me because, you know, I'm just a girl with a guitar. But Benny Friedman and Mordecai Shapiro and Avram Fried, they're staying in a hotel. You know where I stayed? In the freezing basement with a baby crying and many, many times. That was very upsetting. Um, that has changed. Another thing that's, that's that is a big issue for me is the... And again, you you come from the modern orthodox mentality. So maybe you can explain this to me. But the goalpost has completely changed as far as Koalisha goes and the erasure of women and so on and so forth. Ironically, my albums did not have my picture on it because they wouldn't, sell it in the stores if my picture was on it even 20 years ago. And my albums were always on the floor. They were always on the bottom shelf in every single Judaica world, Right, Carrie? The, 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 the women's DVDs were always hard to find. They were not displayed, whether you were on it or not. And, and that was not fair. And, and I managed to, lucky to get paid for the ones I did sell. Right, exactly. And I managed to sell, I would say, I mean, my husband counted, but over 20,000 copies of my albums. Like I was in the business of selling albums. I sold them like hotcakes at concerts, but they never moved in the store because nobody pushed them. And today we're in a world where like Francisca said, I love your analogy about peanut butter, but who, Kalisha, there's no coalition anymore. You, the music is available. Every single female who's putting her music online, whether it's YouTube or Instagram has male listeners, every single one. And maybe that falls into the category of, you know, not putting a stumbling block before a blind person. It could be. And you know what? They're women. Like um, what's her name? The songwriter, Miriam Is Israeli, she performs, will not you will not find her online. And the reason for that is because they believe that that, that the real Kalisha is not making their voice available to other people if they can prevent it. So, you know, the the, the whole Colisha thing is basically out the window. And when I was, you know, performing, I got the short end of the stick. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let me ask you, Carrie, about something that you mentioned before. You said that through your, whether it was DVDs a few years ago, now through TikTok videos, through Israel's Got Talent, you've been able to reach thousands of kids. In terms of that idea of reaching thousands and more than thousands of kids, why do you want to reach them? I don't mean as a performer. It sounds like you have a message you want to transmit. What are you trying to reach them with? What do you want to tell them?
2: Thank you for bringing this up, Scott. I'm like on a mission. We have this Israel culture, and it's very divided, and representation matters. And if you don't see a religious woman, that's not part of your space. That's not of our connection. And I go around from mall to mall, and randoms come up to me dressed wearing who knows what, and I don't care. And we find something in common, and you see somebody in their jog and their nose rings, and you see someone dressed as me, and we come together, and we dance the latest trend. That is a beautiful ah moment it's an eye-opener for secular people who haven't seen a religious person like me it has so many messages not only the opposite, but if you kept shabbos you could maybe still keep your love of dance and the breath of people in the religious world and the breath of what people are doing in the religious world to me representation matters and and somebody was saying this earlier which i like before it's, i don't feel like i'm competing with anybody everybody i bring my own unique thing and people seeing me and what i'm like ads and information of what Israel and Jewish people are like, just like everybody contribute in their voice on social media. I think one of the quickest things that changed the whole Koli Shah thing was basically the internet. And like what you're saying, Hanala, all of a sudden, I didn't need someone to sell my DVDs. Who like like It was this small room in the back office of this huge office was the woman's department where somebody's niece was running it. And I could never get a final number of what my DVDs were selling. And then all of a sudden, we could just do it ourselves. And there weren't these gatekeepers. Everybody could put themselves out there. And one thing that's good about social media is that you can find your peeps and you can bring out your voice. And basically we didn't have a way in through your podcast or social media and and there's people outside of our Orthodox halachic box that would benefit that I could contribute to a greater Jewish world and greater Israeli world. And I came to Israel to make a difference in the first 10 years, I just really tried to survive but I feel like I have something to give and I'm, I'm honored that I can be the religious woman who dances with challah on TikTok because Because that's a unique voice that I have to add to the mix that will affect people.
1: Francesca, how about you? Is there a particular message that you are trying to transmit through your performing and through your songwriting?
3: Yes, that singing or being a Jewish singer isn't about this being necessarily a religious experience or a religious role model. Yes, this may transmit in certain ways, but somebody's musical expression or artistic expression may be not your typical or classical Jewish experience but it could still be a spiritual so so that right now when I just interviewed a singer recently and she was she was challenging the idea of uh, singers and artists n- need that fame and attention piece it was I'm here as a clee to to inspire other people and I think that may be the only way women can justify going for so much fame. And I, I'm challenging that a little bit. I don't know if that is the only way. So I don't know what I my message I love you said is. that
2: because it's just like, right, even now I'm talking, I'm saying the reason I love it is because I connect to people and I have what to offer and we have a moment of action. People through song and dance. I'm not even allowed to say like I just love it. I want to do it. The, not the purpose of
3: self-expression is not. And I
2: would feel that about myself if I. And I think that's a beautiful thought to give yourself permission of I love to do this and I'm good at it and la la la.
1: And by the way, Carrie, the only reason I actually asked that question was because you mentioned you could reach thousands of people, and I got the impression you were saying there's a message because that was part of what you presented to the rabbi. So I assume there's a message, but. I don't want that to be misunderstood as you need to have a justification for doing what you do. That was not my impression. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out I'm too. Good.
2: Everything's good.
1: How about you, Hanale? Is there a message that you're trying to reach people with?
0: Yeah. That I'm a great songwriter and they should hire me to write their songs. <laughs> good. Okay. I never really thought much about my, my um, audience because for years I didn't know who they were. I got some letters in the mail, or whatever, but I wrote the songs because I wanted to write those songs. And you know, they're based on Torah. The Torah is MS. I always say like the greatest resource is <laughs> the the five books of of Moshe and, and the Tanakh. It's just the Tehillim. There's so much to write about. And how lucky are we? I, I've learned over the years to make money songwriting. And, and that's that's, you know, a tremendous, tremendous gift because songwriting, you can charge quite a bit if your songs are great. So for me, it's been a great honor to work with Tovido and to, Um, you know, work on school plays and and all that kind of stuff and honing my craft. So, you know, I never really, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think about my audience, but I don't sit down and think like, what is my message? It's just like, I need to write a banger song right now. And that's what I try to do.
1: Okay. I want to ask about pushback. And Carrie, I'd like to start with you because you talked about how people feel a certain way and like, how, how dare you do this sort of thing. Now, three of us live in Ramat Baj Shemesh Aleph. And living in Beit Shemesh, it's an example of a place. And Francisca, I don't know if Philadelphia is like this, but at least in the Orthodox community in Beit Shemesh, there are very specific standards for what schools, for example, will accept. And if my kid goes to one school and I want my other kid to go to a different school, that other school might say, no, we can't accept your kid because you sent a kid to a different Orthodox school. I think this is crazy personally, but that's a different podcast in a different time. At the same time, I'm curious if you've had pushback in areas like that, whether it's schools or other areas of your lives where it's been a problem where people say, well, you're doing this and therefore you can't be part of X. I'm not speaking now about, you know, not being able to sing in front of a wedding in terms of a halachic issue, but just socially what you're doing is not acceptable. And therefore we are going to push back in some way. Carrie, how about you? Has that happened to you? Well, Baruch
2: Hashem, I love the rhythm of my life thank you for Hashem for my life and how it played out so I feel like I've watched the evolution of my town Ramat Beit Shamish and like when we first started with Megheneva which was like the Haredi Anglo school you had to sign I don't have a computer in the home and I kind of laugh like you know I make dvds for computers but like okay I'll sign it whatever give me my socks and there were like a lot of issues like you came here and it was just like I came from America and I was kind of People call me Haredi. And then I came here, they're like, you're not Haredi. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, you love, you're too Zionist and you love to work too much. So it was like, there was always a lot of like, this is what it, and I feel like as our community grew up and kids got older and all of a sudden you had families where maybe one of the kids, like in Haredi families, you had kids going to the army and everybody just like took like a super chill pill. Like there used to be the kids at the park. And now it's like, all the kids are at the park. And I feel like there's been a general relaxing and a general relaxing of Koli Shah. Like after Israel's Got Talent, I was, Shocked. First of all, how many of my contemporaries saw it and then how they came over and they were like, Felcavo, you're doing good work here. Really religious people. So I've been very lucky that when the pushback, I was also kind of in that box. And as I, my box has relaxed, I feel like the box of the community has relaxed.
1: Hanale, is that your experience too living in broadly the same community?
2: No. <laughs>
0: um, I don't know. I, I kind of just I heard a, a very powerful story recently that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, he, he was very disappointed, like I mentioned, with Shlomo Karbach. And when somebody pressed the Rebbe why he was distancing Shlomo, the Rebbe looked up from his sefer and said, Koil Isha. On the other hand, there's numerous videos of women telling the Rebbe at dollars that they're female singers and the Rebbe giving them the blessing to inspire women and to lift their hearts and to you know, continue in their in their careers. And I've seen so much blessing in my in my career. So I don't um, I'm not preoccupied with, you know, what the community thinks or, you know, once only once in my entire career, I was told to switch schedules. And that's when I performed in in Bar Park. It was the second performance of Comma Dance, which was a very powerful, very popular women's theatrical show. This was a while ago, many years ago. And they asked me to switch the Sheetal when I performed. I think I think the first concert was bar park. The second one might have been Lakewood or and I switched to a straight Sheetal. I didn't even hesitate because I was just like, in my mind, this is their community standard and I'm going to respect it. They're allowing me to sing. So why not? I, I don't get so bent out of shape when I have to respect other people's. St- I've sung for Satmar. I've sung for Bubov. I've 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 been, you know, uh, it doesn't It doesn't affect me.
1: Yeah, but that's not really pushback. I'm talking about when, because you are a professional singer, therefore someone says, well, you can't be part of our group or you can't be part of our school or something like that. So you've never had an experience like that? No. <laughs> okay, what, what do you
0: mean not part of, oh, because because of what I do? I don't know. Honestly, when when my mother-in-law was a little surprised. My mother-in-law is a Sephardi Bukharian. She lives in Kiryat Safer. She's Haredi, Haredi, Haredi. And she was like, are you sure you want to marry a girl who wants to perform? Like for Svartan, that's like a little bit out of the box or a lot of it out of the box. But as soon as she met me and we connected, we have both of the same name, Hannah, and she heard my music and recognized why I'm in this, she supported me from day one. Um, But pushback, no. I'm always like, I'm here. And if, you know, you're lucky if you hire me. And if you don't, you know,
1: you're lost. How about you, Francisca? Has there been any pushback that you've experienced?
3: I mean, I'm try to protect myself from pushback, I'm not walking into Tom's, you know, to Lakewood and standing in front of the shops and singing at the top of my lungs. And (laughs) so I don't receive pushback on that end. But if I can shout out my wonderful community here in Lower Marion Valley, Kenwood, right outside of Philadelphia, I feel very comfortable. I feel like this place nurtured this part of myself that and and I just want to say it's Chaval that I need not that the only place I feel safe enough to be who I am is that's more of a modern Orthodox community than Haredi, even though we have plenty of Haredim here as well. But I, yeah, I just want to Haredi say the community I, is designed to make you feel uncomfortable. Right. If this is what you I, do. I get
0: upset on behalf of other singers in the Haredi community. And, uh, you know, people have messaged me a hundred times, a thousand times how disappointed they were, how something played out or how they were treated or how they were excluded or disrespected um, or whatever the negative experience was. And that bothers me because I do feel like in the like, for example, Braha Jaffe went to London with Hayek Hogan. I believe it was just just recently. This just happened again in Baltimore a few weeks ago, by the way. we right. A letter sent out by the Rebunim not to attend the concert. And I was furious. I was. So but there's a
1: concert for women,
0: for yes. women all women by a singer that has a sterling reputation and is completely accepted as mainstream Jewish music all across North America. And she was invited to London and the Rebunnen put out, you know, that people shouldn't attend the concert. They they, kind of said something because then you'll be on your social media, whatever, whatever. And you know what? As soon as those flyers go out, it affects people, whether they thought about it or not. So, you know, I, I spoke, I mean, I get into it at the time because from what I understood that, You know, it was handled. But I get really upset when those things happen because there's no room for that. No Jewish child should lose out on the opportunity to experience Jewish music if it's within the boundaries of halacha. And women singing to women, completely appropriate. I just want to add here when we're
3: talking about women for women concerts, right, you're not directly really comparing apples and oranges, because if you think about a homoid activity with a family, going to a concert to a male concert is a great option because you could go as an entire family it's not an all male concert where women now have to find another activity when you're talking about women concerts you're talking about if this is your free time and homoid and everyone's together and now you have to figure out two activities because women want to go or who wants to go out at night when you finally have some you know you want to do something that's more inclusive so it's it's much worse and it's you can't really compare it to a regular concert where it could be mixed audiences you're, you're really competing against every other activity that a family could do
1: together. I hear that. Carrie, that
2: example of that, the rabbis coming out against the women for women. These are the women that are doing the strictest interpretations and following all the rules and doing exactly like they're the good girls and doing exactly like the rabbin told them. And they're the ones being banned. And that just sums up why women have turned to social media and been so successful. You have dynamic, creative women playing by the rules, machmer, machmer, and you're being turned away. And and then you see like maybe something's wrong and you have a mission to get it out.
3: If you could interview those rabbis. I mean, I've tried, but they they won't talk to me. Right. I would like (laughs) to know what's behind behind that.
2: It pushes the women into social media when you silence a woman in one direction.
1: Well, I think the law of unintended consequences is a common theme among many attempts by people on the far right to impose certain standards. Let me ask you, Francisca, if you would recommend to other women, if they can avoid the passion of not performing, would you say it's a field you should stay away from? Because it's so frustrating to have these strictures that, as much as I want to become a major performer in front of large audiences, People are stopping me, whether it's the far right or whether it's even in the mainstream orthodox community, the fact you can only perform in front of women. And as you've all said, it's a tough business to get into, even forgetting the religious aspect. So, Francisca, would you recommend to someone who asked you to get in or to stay far away?
3: So I would tell you if there's nothing else you can do or nothing else that brings you the same amount of joy— It's impossible to ignore it. You can ignore it for five years, for 10, for 20, for 30. I've met people who've ignored it their entire lives. And then they come back, you know what? I cannot suppress this anymore. I want to do this. And I'm so regretful I I didn't do this my entire life. So if you cannot do anything else, definitely pursue it.
1: How about you, Carrie? Do you think people should go in? Or do you think you recommend, if you can avoid it, stay away from it?
2: I think it's a wonderful hobby. And that if you're looking... For Parnassa, you should go into a career that you know brings Parnassa. And I have another career that has Parnassa, so I don't have that pressure. And when I feel that pressure, I just think of myself, like Kunal said, we can name right now quickly all the people that we know. And so I'm in there we write our own songs and I do my own choreography and we film ourselves and I edit myself and it's not a moneymaker. And that for me, it's okay. Cause I have another profession. So it even takes, even the, some of the things we're talking about, I don't even have to have another eye about business cause I have another business. So for me, it's the greatest hobby, creative outlet in the world, but not a something that I'm relying on for a profession.
1: Okay. How about you? Hanale?
0: Um, I'd say that in general, performing is cutthroat because of social media. Everyone is vying for your attention and Chefs are now performers and um, dental hygienists and everyone who's anybody has a following, you know. So yeah, it, it's that that is a challenge when you're in this particular field. Um, however, if you are talented, and I say that with great um, heft, if you are talented and you are prepared to put in the work and learn the mu- and, and learn how to play an instrument and learn how to record, and produce music, and understand music, and recognize that if you want to succeed, you cannot spend more than you make. People don't seem to get that. You cannot spend more than you make. If you spend more than you make, you are in the wrong business. I never, ever spent more than I made. Ever. Every single penny I made was extra cash for me. And that is because I didn't spend money hiring other people. I sat for a hundred hours teaching myself how to play piano. The third time I I hired a pianist, I was like, what am I paying him for? I'll just freaking learn it myself. And and that is what I recommend. Learn how to play an instrument, do it right, show up at your performances and do a great job and be so dynamic that they hire you again. Because if you do a great job and if you are in the lines of halacha, obviously everything within halacha, but if you do a great job and if you put on a great performance, they're going to take you back and there is money to be made and a lot of these singers let me tell you i know the numbers female singers are making 15 grand 20 grand wow. at a show yeah. and that's a big deal it doesn't happen often but when but but it's a big number so if you're really good and again realistic realistic be realistic you know a star has to look like a star sound like a star have star quality if people tell you your whole life you could do what you could do you could do it great if you start singing and everybody starts cringing don't bother.
1: <laughs> that's my advice. Okay. Hanale, I want to stay with you for a second because I want to talk about that idea of being a star. You mentioned that we don't in the orthos community revere recording stars or performing artists. And I wasn't sure when you said that, if that was coming from a, and that's a good thing or that's a bad thing. And I'm kind of curious if you could elaborate a little bit on that particular point. The fact that we aren't necessarily looking at stars as our role models. Now, I'm not speaking again about people who shouldn't be stars or who shouldn't be role models. But do you think it would be a good thing if we broadened the definition of what a Jewish role model can be beyond the Torah scholar, who, of course, should be role models? But also, yeah, performing artists can also be role models. I guess that's my question. When you said that, is that something which you were celebrating or denigrating?
0: Um, hmm. I think it's just it's very, very tricky. And we saw that with Chaim Walder and, you know, unfortunately, Matisyahu and a number of other artists that inspired people made the connection and then dropped them like hot potatoes when they abandoned Yiddishkeit and Torah. So we have to be really careful. This is not just an obsession with, you know, the Backstreet Boys. This is a person's entire connection to God. And, and it could be deeply affected by the wrong influence. And singers are as susceptible to every pitfall or if more, if anything, actually, I would
1: say more. I would think.
0: Yeah. And we see that. I mean, look at all the singers who, whose lives have just crashed and burned. I mean, the, the list is endless. So it's a miracle. Actually, I I believe that a lot of singers are dealing with some demons. Um, however, because that's just the the statistics. I mean, look at the secular world. However, the singers that have their connection to Hashem in check and their their motivations in the right place, it all comes together beautifully. So like I said, it's, it's very tricky. Um, and I don't think that it's a good idea for the singers to believe that they should play that role in our youth's um, lives. I think that um, we should stay out of our fans' inboxes on social media and not get emotionally involved with them, even though it's so easy. And on top of it, recognize the responsibility that we have to our listeners, because whether we like it or not, they're going to be, you know affected by who we are and on our life choices. So uh, it, I don't think we necessarily need it. No, I don't think that we need our superstars to uh, posters of our, our of celebrities and, you know, magazines and, you know, stars. They're just like us. Obviously, it's fun. I think the most important thing, though, is respect. Like, I don't like when people send me a WhatsApp. Hey, can you send me your playback from a song? My My, my friend wants to record it. Like, who are you? Why are you messaging me? I'm 25 years older than you. I'm a professional in this career. I'm not your friend. And that happens a lot. Like messages. And I'm like, there's no respect. Maybe because I'm not a billionaire. Maybe because I don't have security. Maybe because I don't project this like distance. Like, oh, I'm a celebrity. I think that's really where the 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 pain or the hurt kind of comes in when you recognize that like you're kind of just a Joe Schmo. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, People like are are you're under a fishbowl. It's it's a very it's 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 difficult to define, honestly.
1: I understand. Let me tell you where the question is coming from because it's an important point for me. When you said that we look to Torah scholars usually as our role models, I think that's true. In the Orthodox world, those are our greatest role models, and that's a good thing broadly. But it's not always such a good thing because what it means is that somebody who may not have that same talent in learning or even desire in learning, but has lots to offer, people. Don't have other people to look up to. That's part of the problem. I don't mean looking up to a singer because they can sing well as a star, like a celebrity, the Backstreet Boys, I'm talking about another way of expressing our Jewish lives in a way that someone can relate to. Let's say, for example, person X does not have that ability in learning. So therefore, he's always going to be in some communities, what we call sugbet, a not quite second class citizen, but he won't be the top because the top is very narrowly defined. And I like the idea that there are other types of top that we can try to emphasize. That's why I'm mentioning that.
0: Well, there's singers like, you know, Shlomo Katz that has a very intimate relationship with his followers. He's like a Rebbe in that way. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And he's proven himself to be consistent and aware of that responsibility. Neeson Black is also a great example. He's a people He he's a, a man of the fans like he is. He he does hashtag people's man, God's man. Like he wants to connect to his fans. And he's doing, again, a great job. I just I'm a little wary. You know, we have been burnt. It's like this messianic, Um, you know, I was gonna say messianic complex, but we have to be careful because unfortunately, stardom goes to people's heads.
1: Okay, I want to conclude by asking each of you a personal question about your own desire for your own career. You've all been involved in this space for quite a while, and I'm curious what you'd like to see your own career look like in the future, if you could plot it out the way you'd like. Carrie, let's start with you. You've recently had this tremendous TikTok celebrity and I'm wondering what you see for the future for that and for other avenues of performing.
2: Yes. Yeah, so like I said, up until now, I've been very Anglo based. And uh, to me, I'm super excited about a different I have lived in Israel a long time and I've integrated in my community, but I didn't integrate into broader Israel. And I'm excited about entering broader Israel and broader Israeli culture. And, and there is a need for um, religious people and their contribution in a wider Israeli culture, especially as someone who I do I do love pop culture and secular background, and I I love it, and I feel like I have uh, a lot to contribute to it, and to contribute as a Jewish woman in in both those values and being a role model and being finding a Hebrew that's that's creatively based, and our common language is creativity, as Jews in the in Israel.
1: How about you, Francisca? My
3: heart's torn between my Jewish music and now my English music because I do want to pursue other avenues besides for the Jewish music industry. And I have eggs in many different baskets and hopefully some of it comes through. And there is there is a lot of fulfillment. I used that word before, but there's possibility in all the different places. I don't want to just be limited to Hebrew music. I don't want to only be limited to English music or the English Jewish music, that hybrid version that you could be talking about, you know, a lover or you can be talking about God, that hybrid model. But um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a journey for me. I I can't say I, I
0: know exactly where I'm going, but I do have big dreams.
1: Sounds good. And how about you, Hanala?
0: I, I, I would be thrilled if people would listen to my music. I know that people do. Obviously, you know, we're aware that we have listeners and that's a beautiful feeling. The songs take on a life, a life of their own. I'm always so honored when they're sung in school plays or part of bus mitzvahs or just, you know, recorded. It's always a great honor and thrill. And at this point, um, I'm just focusing on the podcast because I'm a communicator and whether I'm communicating through music or through the spoken word, the message has been consistent throughout. So hopefully my fans will, transition from my music into podcasting and all the fans that can appreciate me now without the boundaries of Kol Isha can enjoy what I have to offer too.
1: I really appreciate all of you being so honest and forthright today. This is a conversation which I think is important and obviously it's only the beginning of a big conversation hopefully people will have about the place for female performers in our Orthodox society. So I appreciate your opening up that conversation and being so honest with me. Dr. Carrie Barcone, Francisca Cosman, and Hanalafella karel thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit JewishCoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences